Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is July 12th, 2019. It's Friday. And so we have a lot to talk about today. Like I promised, even though I didn't want to, I wanted to go another direction. I'll wait to bring that on Monday. I will tell you how uh, all of this has unraveled from Harvey Weinstein to Nexium to Epstein and why and how and what's going on. Because See, one thing we've realized is, is that when you bring something shocking to someone's attention, something shocking that they just can't fathom exists, that they can believe, you know, everyone can believe that people are stealing money. Everyone can believe conspiracies of uh, defrauding the people. Everyone can believe, you know, that politicians are dirty and nasty when it comes to money. But when you come up to talking about nefarious doings, things that you only see in films that are rated R and not, uh, you know, um, to be seen, some of them so, uh, I would say, gory, that they fit into a group of tales or statements or stories and what and they're pretty much what nightmares are made of from being a slave and a sex slave and from raping children from consuming human flesh to con- conducting rituals that you know only the most horrific months i it's just disgusting right So how did this all come to be? This is the question. How did all of this kind of unravel? It's kind of like a big ball of thread because it is a big ball of thread uh, of intertwined persons, people that you wouldn't believe, people that would blow your mind, uh, people that, you know, you just wouldn't think would be involved, right? Right. So we're going to talk all about that. But before we get to that, I want to talk about a few things first. It's Friday. We've got a lot going on. And I want to show and demonstrate to you how my past shows prove the future now. So if you remember when I started my show on air with you guys uh, in 2018, Ever since then, I've been talking about the threat of war and what countries are responsible, are going to be responsible for it, and specifically that of Turkey setting off the war. I've told you that, right? Many, many times. Iran is a distraction. Iran is a hostage. 
So before we start on talking about Epstein, we're going to touch base on things that are pretty important, things that should be discussed. So the first thing we're going to discuss is Turkey. Not only Turkey in regards to, hey, you know, now they signed on as the Libyan defense, you know, hey, Turkey, who's friends with Iran, hey, Turkey, the one that wants to get Ilhan Omar reelected, hey, Turkey, the one that met with Ilhan Omar behind closed doors, hey, Turkey, the one that is seeking to expand their territory and don't care what other people say. So, The European Commission has finally realized that Turkey is really a big problem for them. And I said that, right? See, the thing about the European Union is, is that they banked on the fact that the United States would remain in the hands of their own, right? They did not expect her to lose. They did not expect to lose power. They used every single uh, possible avenue they could to thwart uh, our elections, to impeach our president, to smear our president. They did everything they could because it wasn't about what the people wanted. It is about what the handful of people that run this place, that go forward for this universal government wanted. Mm. But I was there saying, hey, you know, while they're busy doing all this, they're not paying attention to Turkey. And the biggest flag should have been for the European Union or let's say this deep state cabal, this fourth unelected global government. They should have paid attention to the fact that even though the Turkish nation has Islam faith, they have been excluded from any uh, Arab councils, from any, you know, proper faith, uh, you know, Muslim faith, proper ones, you know, that actually embrace the faith, not so much the extremists with Sharia, right? But they're excluded from those talks. They do not recognize them as part of being uh, a part of these Muslim nations, right? That speaks volumes. When you, the most stringent on Sharia law, the one that backs the Muslim Brotherhood, that is the key to the Muslim Brotherhood right now, has been excluded. That should have spoke volumes to the Europeans. If their own don't want them, maybe there's something wrong with them. They should have paid attention. They thought they were smarter. They thought they knew better. And they gave the keys to the kingdom, to their energy, to their survival, to that one country. Right? I've said it before. That's a problem because they could just turn on and turn off their gas and oil supply. Yes, I've said it. Now take a listen to yesterday's announcement about how the EU is discussing retaliation against Turkey for their illegal drilling. See, this illegal drilling is just them peeing on a tree and saying, this is mine. I mean, why would you go and take your ship and start drilling in some other country's territory? And not only any countries, a country that is part of the European Union. So basically, you took your boat and peed on a tree that does not belong to you, and they think they can get away with it. Yes, they did. And they have been since last year. But here's the announcement they made yesterday. The Commission and the European External Action Service have uh, this uh, week put forward options to the Council on appropriate measures. Uh, to be taken in response uh, to Turkey's drilling activities in Eastern Mediterranean, and it's obviously now for the Council to take this forward. Uh, so, um, 
Measures are expected to include a suspension of high-level talks with Ankara, halting negotiations on on-air transport agreement, and freezing funding for Turkey next year. The European Union says Turkey's plans for its second drilling operation this year are a violation of sovereignty for the island of Cyprus. The drilling was commissioned by the Turkish Republic of North Cyprus, which is only recognized by Ankara. Okay, so that's number one, right? That's number one. So they're saying that it's because of this. I'm going to tell you what the real reason is, because with the drilling, the first site of drilling, and they've been drilling, has been going on for, let's see, it's July, right? Ten months. So now we're going to listen to this announcement that they made today. Take a listen to this. It's been widespread condemnation against Turkey. France has said that drilling is illegal. Israel and Egypt have warned that it can increase tensions in the region, and both countries have agreed to increase cooperation on gas exports with Greece. The United States has called Turkey's actions a provocative step and again increasing tensions in the region. Uh, Amer- uh, an American ship, ExxonMobil, has uh, been involved in the exploration uh, off of Cyprus's coast. So many countries have an interest in this exploration. Turkey, for its part, has said that it's just simply uh, defending the interests and sovereign rights of Turkish Cypriots. Uh, but it, uh, the EU is limited in its uh, actions. One EU diplomat told the Reuters news agency that there won't be any widespread sanctions against Turkey because there's too many interests in terms of security and migration with Turkey. Um, why is this oil particularly so valuable to Turkey? Turkey probably has the most to gain from this exploration. Turkey has almost no energy uh, resources within its own country. That has led to it having to rely on countries like Iran and Russia for its energy needs. And that has led to problems with some of its major allies, such as the United States, as well as a country like Russia, where it has diverging interests in the region, means that Turkey has had to limit its regional ambitions. If it can get its own energy resources, it means that one, it doesn't have to buy energy from other countries, as well as possibly financially benefit from exporting this gas. As well, it could become a more independent and possibly more aggressive actor in the region, going after its own interests more independently. Okay, so we hear this, we hear them that they're worried, and we hear that Turkey is exploring oil because they're dependent on Iran and Russia. I've told you that. The only oil that goes through Turkey that then is resold to the EU is from Iran and Russia. We've talked about this. If um, you're new to the show, you can go and revisit shows from like November, December of last year where I talk about it extensively and throughout the year now. Here's the real reason. Remember how Iran said, hey, Europe, if you don't pay me that money according to the agreement and you don't send a plane with money and show me that you're on board, I'm going to enrich uranium. Well, that's one factor you need to remember. And then the next factor you need to remember is how I have told you that Turkey is the one that is selling stolen gold from Venezuela. This was reported and underreported in the United States, but but also reported how Tanzania and uh, Congo have caught shipments of gold coming, physical gold coming in through Venezuela and then going through Turkey for sale. Well, here's the thing. Where is the enriched uranium being sold? I mean, that's expensive. A small vial can run something up to 50 to 100 million dollars. Well, apparently, uh, you know, during the deadline, 
uh, on the 7th of July of the deadline that they had, once again, someone was caught with uh, enriched uranium in Turkey uh, heading out of the country for sale. This uranium is uh, estimated to be worth over $70 million. And that is a type of uranium you need to create nuclear weapons. Who, again, was hauling this almost 20-gram haul of uh, uranium, enriched uranium? Ah, the Turkish people. Where are they getting it from? Iran. How are they crossing it through the border? Through Syria. I've said this before. Iran and um, Turkey are working on how to make money. Now, uh, again, Iran, let's get it straight. There is the IRGC, and then there is uh, Khamenei. Khamenei, I do not believe, is working with Turkey on this matter, except for the fact Okay, that Turkey has promised to defend Iran as part of the Muslim Brotherhood. They're like bloodbound, right? Um, but on the other hand, Khamenei wants to talk. It's the IRGC that's pushing it because if Turkey sells it, then they get a kickback, then they get money, then they buy weapons. Turkey becomes stronger and they make a lot of money. Again, Turkey is running against the clock to make money. They're stealing oil from the Eastern Mediterranean. So that way they're not dependent on Russia in Iran. So that way they can make more of an impact and make money because their economy is crumbling. And now they're selling uranium and gold. Again, who is the enemy? Who is really starting the war? Exactly. It's Turkey. It was never Iran. Uh, so we always have to look at the facts and not listen to what the mainstream media has been pushing and telling you is the real story. Uh, because the mainstream media is also responsible for allowing people like Harvey Weinstein to trot around, Nexium to exist, Epstein, and there's going to be more. And today, I'm going to tell you how we all got that and how they really didn't think she was going to lose because if they thought she was going to lose, they wouldn't have given us the smoking gun. And we're going to have that a little bit later. Now, yesterday we saw that the president actually issued an executive order to include the question of citizenship right in the census, which is important. And I've told you, see, you know, what frustrates me is that the mainstream media, even the right and conservative and center left, center right media will not tell you why it's so important. I've explained to you what the census is. It's done every 10 years from the Office of Management and Budget in order to be allocating the correct federal funds to um our cities and states. Uh, like I said, if you, for example, live in a city where you have a lot of people that have been brought in legally with, you know, uh, some, you know, refugee plan bringing people in, I don't know, I'm just saying now from Hungary, right? Then, you, you know, all these, uh, you know, you, you're going to need more resources. You're going to need Hungarian translators. You're going to need Hungarian court interpreters, Hungarian healthcare interpreters. You're going to need uh, more ESL teachers, right? And this is done from the census. The census also sees what kind of um, economic status every city and state has. So for example, in my city, most people are broke. You know, we don't have, you know, there's a big chasm between uh, the, up. Um, there is actually no middle class. <laughs> you know, for some reason, I had a conversation with someone the other day and they think being middle class means a family that makes about 300,000 a year. I mean, uh, yeah, that's not middle class. Middle class is a family that makes about a hundred 
100, maybe 150 combined income a year, uh, you know, and it's like husband, wife, two kids, right? That's your, that's your idea of middle class, right? Nowadays, right? Uh, that's between 75,000 and 120, 150,000 a year. Not the crazy idea that the mainstream media said it's uh, families that make 300 to 500,000 a year. I mean, uh, yeah, that's like super upper middle class. Middle class is like 75 to 150, right? So this is what the census does. It tells us the needs of the city. So for example, if, um, you know, this city doesn't have enough jobs, so a lot of people are unemployed and the only jobs they have are, I don't know, uh, hospital workers and oil workers, then the country knows that maybe we need to invest in uh, some way to bring more income to that city so we can bring more people out of poverty and not need to, you know, collect food stamps or something. So this is why we have this. So let's take a listen to this um, announcement. Thank you very much, everyone. Are you a citizen of the United States of America? Oh, gee, I'm sorry. I just can't answer that question, and that's after spending billions and billions of dollars. There used to be a time when you could answer questions like that very easily. There used to be a time when you could proudly declare, I am a citizen of the United States. Now they're trying to erase the very existence of a very important word and a very important thing, citizenship. They're even coming after the Pledge of Allegiance in Minnesota. I'm proud to be a citizen. You're proud to be a citizen. The only people who are not proud to be citizens are the ones who are fighting us all the way about the word citizen. Today, I'm here to say we are not backing down on our effort to determine the citizenship status of the United States population. I stand before you to outline new steps my administration is taking to ensure that citizenship is counted so that we know how many citizens we have in the United States. Makes sense? We will defend the right of the American people to know the full facts about the population, size of citizens, and non-citizens in America. It is essential that we have a clear breakdown of the number of citizens and non-citizens that make up the U.S. populations. Imperative. Knowing this information is vital to formulating sound public policy, whether the issue is health care, education, civil rights, or immigration. We must have a reliable count of how many citizens, non-citizens, and illegal aliens are in our country. The Department of Commerce sensibly decided to include a citizenship question in the 2020 census, as has been done many, many times throughout the history of the United States. Unfortunately, this effort was delayed by meritless litigation. As shocking as it may be, far-left Democrats in our country are determined to conceal the number of illegal aliens in our midst. They probably know the number is far greater, much higher than anyone would have ever believed before. Maybe that's why they fight so hard. This is part of a broader left-wing effort to erode the rights of the American citizen and is very unfair to our country. The Supreme Court ultimately affirmed our right to ask the citizenship question, and very strongly it was affirmed. But the Supreme Court also ruled that we must provide further explanation that would 
have produced even more litigation and considerable time delays. The case is already in three federal district courts that have been, to be totally honest, extremely unfriendly to us. These delays would have prevented us from completing the census on time. It's deeply regrettable, but it will not stop us from collecting the needed information, and I think even in greater detail and more accurately. Therefore, we are pursuing a new option to ensure a complete and timely count of the non-citizen population. Today, I will be issuing an executive order to put this very plan into effect immediately. I am hereby ordering every department and agency in the federal government to provide the Department of Commerce with all requested records regarding the number of citizens and non-citizens in our country. They must furnish all legally accessible records in their possession immediately. We will utilize these vast federal databases to gain a full, complete, and accurate count of the non-citizen population, including databases maintained by the Department of Homeland Security and the Social Security Administration. We have great knowledge in many of our agencies. We will leave no stone unturned. The Census Bureau projected that using previously available records, it could determine citizenship for 90 percent of our population or more. With today's executive order, which eliminates longstanding obstacles to data sharing, we're aiming to count everyone. Ultimately, this will allow us to have an even more complete count of citizens than through asking the single question alone. It will be, we think, far more accurate. The Census Bureau can use this information, along with information collected through the questionnaire, to create the official census. In other words, as a result of today's executive order, we will be able to ensure the 2020 Census generates an accurate count of how many citizens, non-citizens, and illegal aliens are in the United States of America. Not too much to ask. This will greatly inform a wide array of public policy decisions. This information is also relevant to administering our elections. Some states may want to draw state and local legislative districts based upon the voter-eligible population. Indeed, the same day the Supreme Court handed down the Census decision, it also said it would not review certain types of districting decisions, which could encourage states to make such decisions based on voter eligibility. With today's order, we will collect all of the information we need to conduct an accurate census and to make responsible decisions about public policy, voting rights, and representation in Congress. In everything we do, we will faithfully represent the people of the United States of America. I would like now to introduce Attorney General Bill Barr to the podium. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Good evening. Thank you, Mr. President, and congratulations on today's executive order, which will ensure that we finally have an accurate understanding of how many citizens and non-citizens live in our country. As the Supreme Court recognized, it would be perfectly lawful for the federal government to ask on the census 
whether individuals are citizens of the United States. And it's entirely reasonable to want to know how many citizens and non-citizens there are in the United States. In fact, the federal government has routinely asked questions relating to citizenship ever since the 1820s. But while the Supreme Court correctly recognized that it would be entirely appropriate to include citizenship questions on the census, it nevertheless held that the Commerce Department did not adequately explain its decisions for doing so on the 2020 census. Because, as the Supreme Court recognized, the defect in the Commerce Department's decision was curable with a better record, the President asked me to work with Secretary Ross to determine whether there remained a viable path for including a citizenship question on the census. I did so. In my view, the government has ample justification to inquire about citizenship status on the census and could plainly provide rationales for doing so that would satisfy the Supreme Court. Okay, so I'm going to stop it right here before we break and end this conversation by saying the census is coming out now and we should be getting it um, by the end of 2019 so it can be done for 2020. We don't have time to play around with the courts and go back and forth with the Supreme Court. So this is why we use the executive order because they will do everything in their power to disallow us to see a snapshot of exactly what kind of um, population we have. But like he said, he's ordered all federal agencies to release information. That includes FBI-faced services. So for all those illegal migrants, uh, you know, they're going to be using that uh, very unlawful, unconstitutional FBI-faced services database. So if you've got a driver's license, they're going to find you in Walmart, Target, all of those companies that... Use your facial recognition, collect it, and share it with the FBI. I'll see you all right after this short break. Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot, on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable my pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code Red State. That's one 800 
800-961-9194. Promo code Red State. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit mypillow.com. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, Right. Welcome back uh, to the Tory Says Show. So before we start our Epstein, uh, you know, piece, I just wanted to talk about Acosta and what the president had to say and um, how he felt about uh, Acosta resigning and um, something he said. And I thank uh, Scott Adams for bringing this to my attention. It was very interesting to hear and next week it'll be a huge cycle in the news and I'm just letting you know uh, what that will be so to begin we're going to listen to Tucker um, in well no let's listen to what the president and Acosta said first and then we'll get to Tucker and then back to the president take a listen good labor secretary he's done a fantastic job He's a friend of everybody in the administration, and I got a call this morning early from Alex, and I think he did a very good job yesterday. Under a lot of pressure, he did a fantastic job, and he explained it. And he made a deal that people were happy with, and then 12 years later, they're not happy with it. You'll have to figure all of that out, but the fact is, he has been a fantastic Secretary of Labor. And Alex called me this morning and he wanted to see me. And I, I actually said, well, we have the press right out here. So perhaps you just want to say it to the press. Uh, but I just want to let you know, this was him, not me, because I'm with him. He was a he's a tremendous talent. He's a Hispanic man. He went to Harvard, a great student. And in so many ways, I just hate what he's saying now because we're going to miss him. But please, Alex. Thank you, Mr. President. Over the last week, I've seen a lot of coverage of the Department of Labor. And what I have not seen is the incredible job creation that we've seen in this economy, more than 5 million jobs. I haven't seen that workplace injuries are down, bucking a three-year trend. Workplace fatalities are down, bucking a three-year trend. That we had the safest year ever in mining, the lowest number of fatalities ever in mining. I have seen coverage of this case that is over 12 years old, that has input and vetting at multiple levels of the Department of Justice. And as I look forward, I do not think it is right and fair for this administration's Labor Department to have Epstein as the focus rather than the incredible economy that we have today. Okay, so first of all, before I continue uh, and he completes what he wants to say, President Trump did not want him to resign. 
And I will tell you why he chose to resign, aside from the fact that he's like, you know what? This isn't fair. You're using the Epstein case to trash the Labor Department of Trump's administration when he has created more jobs with his so-called magic wand than any other president in history. You're not, you know, talking about the great things that the Labor Department under this administration has done. So for that reason, I'm going to leave because I don't want it to taint the good work that I've done and taint this administration, but there's more to it. Take a listen. And so I called the president this morning. I told him that I thought the right thing was to step aside. No, cabinet positions are temporary trust. It would be selfish for me to stay in this position and continue talking about a case that's 12 years old rather than about the amazing economy we have right now. And so I submitted my resignation to the president, effective seven days from today, effective one week from today, earlier this morning. There is no need at all, as far as I'm concerned. I would have, I watched Alex yesterday. I thought Alex did a great job. And, you know, you can always second guess people and you could say it should have been tougher. They do it with me all the time. I'd make a great deal with anybody. And then they say, like the Democrats, oh, it could have been better. I got $1.2 billion settlement fine from a company, from uh, ZTE. And the next day, and everybody couldn't believe it. The next day, the Democrats said, oh, you should have gotten more. So you can always be second-guessed. That's what people do. I just want to tell you, uh, this is a person that I've gotten to know There hasn't been an ounce of controversy at the Department of Labor until this came up. And he's doing this not for himself. He's doing this for the administration. And Alex, I think you'll agree. I said, you don't have to do this. He doesn't have to do this. Okay, so let me tell you why why he did it. Aside from the fact of tainting the administration, I told you and other people after me reported that indeed what? That indeed Epstein was tied to the central agency, the central intelligence agency. So with this all coming out and checking this deal and this coming out into the open, it would indicate that Acosta was um, complying with uh, without knowing the details. And that is something that happens all the time. And it would have whiplashed back in his face. And he knows that's going to come out. And he knows how bad it's going to look. But on the other hand, he knows that no cabinet member should be, you know, tainted with central agency rubbish. One thing that I am sure our president will do within the next six years is dismantle the central agency. We have other intelligence communities uh, and, and organizations that are named and unnamed that can satisfy the needs for our national security. Because, you know, I'm going to be honest, most of the intelligence community keeps tabs on the central agency because we know just how nefarious and wrong they can be operating. Uh, you know, their window front looks good, what they do is not. And uh, this brings me to the next portion of something President Trump said, but we're going to hear Tucker say something first before we hear what the president had to say. Take a listen. We're about to blow your mind. 
For more than 30 years, Nancy Pelosi, as you well know, has represented the single most liberal congressional district in America. And she's always seemed perfectly suited for the job. Name the issue, no matter what it is, from abortion to climate change to affirmative action. And Nancy Pelosi has the party-approved doctrinaire left position on that issue. She's a walking liberal stereotype. Or so we thought. In fact, it was all a pose. It was a sham identity designed to cloak a darker reality beneath. You thought Nancy Pelosi was a guilty white liberal who regularly sends money to the annual NPR pledge drive, didn't you? No. In fact, Pelosi is a committed racist, a hardened bigot. She'd be running the ladies' clan auxiliary if they had one in San Francisco. Kind of shocking, actually. How do we know this? Simple. Watch the way Nancy Pelosi dismisses fellow Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She likes to minimize the conflicts within her caucus between the moderates and the progressives. You have these wings, AOC and her group on one side. It's like five people. It's like five people. Actually, it's four people. But of course, a racist would get the number wrong. Pelosi was referring to Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and Ayanna Pressley, or, as Pelosi doubtless thinks of them, the four morons of the apocalypse. Now, um, I totally agree. Uh, you know, stay tuned because next week there's going to be a huge expose from me and Laura Loomer. Uh, we were going to drop it today, but it's Friday. We don't want it buried. So we're going to drop it on Monday on this. But I want you guys to take a listen to President Trump and what he has to say about that. And to his selection process. Right here. Okay, so the question is, what's going on with the Democrats, with Nancy Pelosi, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? Listen to what the president says. Now, keep in mind, every single article that I put together before I publish, I send all my sources and all my findings to a specific contact to ensure that it is documented, aside from the fact you know, that I put it on my website. I send it to the proper authorities. So this will give you a hint of what's to come next week. Well, I think Cortez who kept Amazon out of New York, and they don't like her for that, thousands and thousands of jobs. I think Cortez is being very disrespectful to somebody that's been there a long time. I deal with Nancy Pelosi a lot, and we go back and forth, and it's fine. But I think that a group of people is being very disrespectful to her. Here we go. Her, Here her. we go. And you know what? I don't think that Nancy can let that go on. A group of people that came from, I don't know where they came from. I don't know where they came from. Tori does. I'm looking at this Omar from Minnesota. Oh. And if one half of the things they're saying about her are true, she shouldn't even be in office. Or in the United but States. Cortez should treat Nancy Pelosi with respect. She should not be doing what she's doing. And I'll tell you something about Nancy Pelosi that you know better than I do. She is not a racist, okay? She is not a racist. For them to call her a racist is a disgrace. All right.
right. So you heard it from the president. I don't know where she came from, but I do. And if half the things I hear are true, she shouldn't even be in office. Mm-hmm. Not even in the United States. Actually, once you um, read and hear what we discovered, she should be in the brig, stripped of U.S. citizenship and sent back to her family of al-Shabaab in Somalia. But that'll be coming next week. See, this is key. Okay, this is key as to what they are saying and what they are doing. They are cannibalizing each other, which is great. Great, great, great. I'm totally fine with it. Um, That there's this cannibalism amongst them. Uh, You know, they don't, you know, Nancy Pelosi thought getting Ocasio-Cortez elected was her way of ensuring that she gets the gavel. So Crowley doesn't get it right because Crowley and Ocasio were, were, were stumping for the same district. She threw all her chips behind Ocasio and let her get elected. And she thought, yeah, let me just get this idiot on. I can tame her. I could do this because I need to have the gavel. Mm, didn't work out for her because she put in someone that is literally insane, that has not been conditioned, that was not trained properly, that was not um, psychologically primed to follow the rules properly. It was kind of a last minute thing. And it's blowing up in her face. Uh, But she doesn't care because she can control Ocasio. So the president making that statement about Ocasio and throwing support behind Pelosi gives him a lot of clout and a lot of respect from the uh, Democrats that are kind of right leaning. They're really center ish, but still like just don't like you know, they have Trump derangement syndrome. So this is why they vote Democrat. Now they're going to see President Trump in a different light because, you know, he's calling out, you know, Casio is really insane. This is a joke. And she's attacking someone that has never, you know, indicated any inch of racism or anything like that. So now here's where we're going to start talking about um these nefarious things that are coming to light. So before we do, we need to understand that as human beings, right, a human being is unable to process information that is overwhelmingly uh, shocking. You have to feed it to them slowly, spoon feed, little by little. Because when you have people that have been kept in the dark for so long, it's kind of like, say you've been sitting in a dark room for a hundred years and suddenly there is a crack in the, you know, suddenly, no, somebody opens up the window completely. You're going to go blind, right? You're, you can't see your, your eyes hurt. You're disoriented. You're, you're frustrated and you just want to run back into the darkness, right? To make it go away. This is the same thing. When you bring light into darkness and you turn on the light, you have to do so slowly. You don't open up the window, you crack it open so they can see that there is light, right? Oh, what's this? Then you open it a little bit more, then a little bit more, and then you open up the window. This is exactly what is happening. How did it start? So, Again, they never thought that she would lose, right? Never, ever in a million years did they think that she would lose. They thought they had control over everything. 
But here's where they failed. They failed miserably. So what we have to look at is uh, take a little bit of a trip back to 2015. Back to when uh, President Trump had come off the escalator and announced that he was running for president of the United States. And we go to uh, July and we have that um, El Chapo had escaped, right? Didn't he? He escaped from a prison and he fled at night. He had tunnels and everything. But what did we see? We saw that when President Trump was uh, running and in the beginning, he had said that, you know, El Chapo embodies everything that is wrong with Mexico and that he would kick his ass. Basically, he said that during his campaign trial. So if you remember, if you remember, El Chapo used Twitter to talk to President Trump. He sent a tweet directly to him saying that he will eat his words now that he's out of prison, you know, and he also said there's no jail for, you know, a shorty like me, basically. So this is pretty incredible because that was one of the biggest mistakes because at this point he's a, first of all, a celebrity and he's a presidential candidate. So, you know, President Trump, you know, he always said, we don't call the FBI for anything unless it's serious. I've, you know, I don't think I've ever called the FBI uh, particularly for anything dumb, but we have, remember when he said, but you know, you go to the FBI when something is really serious. Well, apparently that one time that he was referring to was this, uh, he had, asked the FBI to investigate the source of the Twitter account that warned him um, that he would be sorry for speaking out. Now, that was indeed a threat from El Chapo, indeed a threat to a uh, presidential candidate. But at that time, he was like one of what, like 17 people, right? So he just kept on, you know, tweeting out things. He even attacked uh, the Mexican president at the time, Nieto. And he said, you know, don't call me delinquent because I give people in my country work. Unlike you, you cowardly politician, which we then found out he was paid like $100 million to look the other way for El Chapo. And he said, uh, he followed up by saying, never say never. This world keeps turning on an account, um, you know, that his son, you know, that El Chapo's son would be running. And so it was just constantly, El Chapo was constantly tweeting, um, you know, and he had already, you know, when he was tweeting, he was already hinting how um, his father had escaped from prison. Uh, you know, the, the month before he was hinting it, he was telling people and he was tweeting things like good things come to those who wait, blah, blah, blah. And then he also posted, I won't lie. I've cried, but I bring armed men and I promise that soon the general will be back, which is him getting out. And he did escape and he hired prison guards. I mean, he paid off the president a hundred million dollars, of course. So here we are where he actually broke out of jail and it was the second time in 14 years there was no prison that could actually hold him everybody has a price I've said it and that was it 
So through a tunnel, he escaped. And, you know, that was that was basically it. He had escaped. He hinted about it. Uh, you know, the Mexican uh, authorities were embarrassed. Um, you know, they all toured the site of how he escaped to follow the tunnels. Right. It was it was a pretty big deal. Right. Remember that? That was in 2015. And, you know, this was indeed some really big egg in the face to, um, you know, former President Nieto's uh, administration. I mean, that was even said by Mike Vigil, which at the time was the head of global operations for the, um, the DEA. So what's important is, is that, you know, he ran away. They don't think that he's going to be captured again. You know, everything's just a hot mess. And, you know, we arrested him. He broke out, you know, after a few months. Like, what do we do? And so everyone's on a global manhunt trying to find El Chapo, right? Um, He runs you know, drugs throughout all of the United States of America, North America, Europe, Australia, you name it. He's got his fingers everywhere. El Chapo. El Chapo. Kind of like the Corleone, right? Of uh, the Mexican Corleone. So, you know, it was a pretty big issue. And, you know, this was Mexico's biggest drug lord escaping from jail. And, you know, President Trump had talked about through his campaign in 2015 and 2016 how Mexicans, um, uh, you know, the, that are coming through, uh, the illegal migrants, basically, that are Mexican that are coming through are usually the thieves and who their government is pushing out across the border, remember? And he got really slammed for that, that they're drug dealers, traffickers, etc. Turns out it is kind of right, right? <laughs> So suddenly there was this worldwide manhunt for El Chapo. And, you know, they never thought that she would lose. So it was no big deal that El Chapo was on the run and all these people were looking. But you have to remember, as elections were going forward and everyone understood that uh, President Trump will be president, uh, the threats against President Trump were taking a little bit more seriously. And so what's incredible is, is that as it went on, this manhunt went on, Suddenly, the walls were closing in. Suddenly, it seemed as if uh, it would be pretty incredible if, you know, El Chapo was to be caught again. And so what happened? Elections came along, right? Um, And even though... um, Uh, He had slipped out of prisons and he was like this huge legend. It seemed that, you know, he was caught, right? He was caught. He was caught and everybody was kind of thinking, what is going to happen now? How is this going to happen? How um, are we going to get a hold of him? Who caught him? Who found him? How was it done? So he was caught again with the help of 
independent security forces by the United States. Now, that's not widely known. And, uh, you know, it was something that uh, they didn't expect to happen. And, you know, it happened to make it seem that, look, President Obama is taking seriously the issues, right, of drug trafficking and the drug cartels. So, President Obama decided, <laughs> and this is where it gets funny, to push for extradition. Loretta Lynch was so happy. Remember, she had made that huge announcement. Oh, my gosh, El Chapo, he was arrested. This is so cool. They caught him, and this is in January of 2016. And what happened during that time? So in January of 2016, Obama had a lot of controversy going around, right? He had the controversy of loading up a plane with cash and flying it out to Iran, but he also had the controversy of what? 1,500 illegal migrants that were going to be put on a plane and deported because they were all criminals were suddenly awarded U.S. citizenship accidentally. Remember that? Accidentally giving criminals U.S. citizenship. And remember, President Trump talked about it. He was like, well, hold on a second. How do you accidentally give, how do you naturalize accidentally 1,500 criminals that were set to be deported and give them U.S. passports? And how can you not find them? Because you just naturalize them. So you have their social security number, you know, their naturalization certificate, and they applied for passports. How can't you find them? So Mexican Marines were the ones that captured Guzman. So at that point, you know, Loretta Lynch and the Obama administration were having a field day of just how excellent they are and how, you know, they've done such a great job and that they're pushing forward to bring this man to justice. That was their mistake. Do you know why? Because they didn't think she would lose. They didn't think she would lose because, you know, why would Obama bring a man who would go through the court and tell the court that he helped fund their operations with weapons in the fast and the furious? Why would he? Uh -uh. Because they didn't think she would lose. And that was their problem. Because only a couple of days before our president, President Donald J. Trump, the president, the best president ever in our history was sworn in <laughs> El Chapo was brought to the United States and so it began that tiny thread that we can pull from a man that indeed said there is no prison that can hold shorty and you better believe it because El Chapo gave us more strings to pull on and unravel this disgusting ball of nefarious activities now after this break we will talk more about that and elaborate further i'll see you all right after this sharp break A long way from the suits in D.C., but close enough now to see this mess. Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper. They grab a shovel, dig a hole a little deeper, just to bury my kids right up to their necks. Welcome to Red State Talk Radio.
You're listening to Tori Says. For the next hour, I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Remember, I'm always here Monday through Friday, 12 to 2 Eastern Time on Red State Talk Radio and your airwaves. So just to recap, we were talking about El Chapo. We were talking about how confident they were because they had to mobilize. I mean, he was sending threats You know, they had to do something. They had to make it look like, you know, they're doing their job. We couldn't let the Obama administration look like they're not doing the job. But they thought she would win. And see, the thing is, they don't seem to understand at all just how ahead of the game we are. You know, they trash any alternative journalism. They trash every single person that speaks of things way before their time. You know, look at what they're doing to our lovely Q movement. Look at what they're doing to our lovely people out there that are reporting the facts. I mean, they're silencing them. Okay, some of them may be a little bit harsh for you, maybe too extreme for you, maybe too passionate, I would say, for you. But that's what happens when you obsess, okay? Because I've been victim of obsession uh, over certain things, just like many of you have in your life by other things. So before I do this walk down memory lane, I just want to fast forward to just a couple months ago and point something out. So El Chapo is in jail, right? In the United States. Where is he in jail? Is he in like at Rikers Island? Is he like at this really max center? No, he's in Manhattan's correctional facility. He is at the same place where, uh, you know, they detain people that are going to be going to court. He's in the max security wing. And, you know, he even complains about access to better conditions. He does not trust the water coming out of the pipes and he shouldn't because, What he has done is given the good guys a piece of the thread. And in exchange, he's staying in the Manhattan Correctional Center as opposed to Rikers. He's in New York in our president's domain. (laughs) So this is pretty exciting. But he also knows what he's done. He also knows what information he's exchanged for whatever deal he has cut deal cut. What are you talking about? Oh, yes. So I'm going to take you down another trip down memory lane to play a clip 
from someone you probably don't remember because you remember when I told you how the Obama administration was like, oh my gosh, we got El Chapo. We're going to get him in here. And Loretta Lynch was like, oh, look at this. And we're going to ask him to get here. This is a big win for drug enforcement. We are so cool. You remember that? They were so happy about it. And they were, the mainstream media was blowing it up and covering up. Hey, you just sent a plane with a bunch of money to Iran. Hey, you just gave accidentally citizenship to people that were criminals and were on their way to be deported. But let's not talk about that. Let's talk about the fact that the Mexican Marines caught El Chapo and we're going forward with extradition. Okay. So, but you know, that extradition was like super slow. Like what happened? I mean, how weird is it that it only happened just a couple of days before President Trump was sworn in? What? Take a listen to this. Don Penn made headlines the very next day when Rolling Stone published his account of visiting the kingpin in hiding last October. In an interview for Sunday 60 Minutes, Charlie met with Penn last night in Santa Monica to talk about that trip. Wait, did you hear that? So Sean Penn met with El Chapo a few months before El Chapo was caught while El Chapo was in hiding. Wait, hold on a second. Wait a minute. Sean Penn met with El Chapo while he was one of the most wanted men in the world. He was on Interpol top of the list and everybody wanted him. But for some reason, Sean Penn knew where he was and went to visit him. Take a listen to what he tells you. Charlie joins us now from Santa Monica, where a lot of people, Charlie, are looking forward to hearing what Sean Penn has to say. Good morning to you. Well, good morning, Gail and Nora and Anthony. It's been an interesting trip here. Sean Penn wanted to clarify his involvement in El Chapo's recapture. Mexican authorities have said knowledge of his trip helped them move in on the drug lord. Penn believes those claims of his contribution are incorrect and could put him in danger. There is this myth about the, the visit that we made, my colleagues and I, with El Chapo, that it led, that it was, as the Attorney General in Mexico has quoted, essential to his capture. Okay, so first of all, let's just say, Sean Penn and his associates, and so he's coming out to talk about it, to say, no, 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 the Mexican government is wrong. We didn't turn over El Chapo. Don't go after me. That's not true, because it isn't true, and I agree. Sean Penn was not the reason El Chapo was caught. Sean Penn, though, knew exactly where this most world most wanted man was. Who was Sean Penn? But anyway, let's take a listen to what he says before we get to the next step. So you can just see how our plan has unfolded baby steps. Spoon feeding. We had met with him many weeks earlier. On October 2nd. On October 2nd in a place nowhere near where he was captured. So as far as you know, you had nothing to do, and, and your visit had nothing to do with his uh, recapture? The things, here's the things that we know. We know that the Mexican government, they were clearly very humiliated by the notion that someone found him before they did. Well, nobody found him before they did. We didn't, we're not smarter than the DEA or the Mexican intelligence. 
we had a contact upon which we were able to facilitate an invitation. Do you believe that the Mexican government released this in part because they wanted to see you blamed and to put you at risk? Yes. They wanted to encourage the cartel to put you in their crosshairs? Yes. Are you fearful for your life? No. I first wanted to know why you wanted to do this, why you wanted to go there. I secondly want to know the sense of how you felt about the risk you might be taking and why that risk was worth it. I had only, only that I thought this is somebody upon whose interview could I begin a conversation about the policy of the war on drugs. That was my simple idea. You wanted to have a conversation about the policy of a war on drugs. That's right. We're going to put all our focus, forget about blame, we're going to put all our focus, all our energy, all our billions of dollars on the bad guy. And what happens? You get another death the next day, the same one. Do you make a moral equivalency between El Chapo and um, people who either buy or sell drugs in America? I do if it's me. I can't make, I don't make that judgment for everyone else, but I wouldn't go so far as to buy or sell drugs. So he's no better than you and no worse than you. I say I can't, I can't make him worse than me if I'm not out there doing everything that I can to get a conversation going on the way in which we prosecute that war. You have said to the AP, and I'm asking now, Mm -hmm. you have no regrets. Yeah, I, I, I have a terrible regret. What are the regrets? I have a regret that the entire discussion about this article um, ignores its purpose, which was to con- try to contribute to this discussion about the uh, policy in the war, war on drugs. Let's go, let's go to the big picture of what we, what we all want. We all want this drug problem to stop. We all want the, the killings in Chicago to stop. We are the consumer. Whether you, whether you agree with Sean Penn or not, there is a complicity there. And if you are in the moral right or on the far left, just as many of your children are doing these drugs. Just as many. And how much time have they spent in the last week since this article come out talking about that? Okay, so I'm going to stop it there. So let's see. So Sean Penn was like, hey, first of all, I didn't hand over El Chapo. Secondly, people just want to know how I knew where he was. But it was like, okay, yeah, they just wanted to know. And they think that, how did you know? Well, I'll tell you how I know. Let's take a trip down memory lane and think about all those people that profited and made tons of money and a name for themselves with um, Harvey Weinstein. There's just a handful of them that are really important. One of them is Kevin Smith, right? He's a producer, filmmaker. Uh, Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, uh, John Madden, Martin Scorsese, David O. Russell, Keenan Ivory Wayans, and Sean Penn. You know, Penn had... um, had directed films before um, Weinstein was in. He had done uh, The Crossing Guard uh, through Miramax, if you guys remember. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't like a blockbuster, but it became like a cult hit. 
It was then when he, uh, you know, had gotten in bed with Weinstein. It was then when he started to work with him, kind of like Keenan uh, Ivory Wayans, you know, where he got into like the scary, uh, you know, scary movie, those uh, funny ones. Um, it was all Weinstein. So you're going to be like, wait a minute, hold on a second. How did we get from El Chapo to Harvey Weinstein? So who is the largest consumer? Because see, this this interview tells you what you need to know. What... I guess, demographic of people do drugs the most. You would say drug addicts, teenagers. It's actually Hollywood, right? Hollywood. Uh, you know, I don't know how many of you out there have accidentally mingled or rubbed elbows with people of Hollywood. But I remember mm, three different parties around the world that I've been to. Cocaine flies like nobody's business. Everyone's happy. People pull it out. There's no taboo. There's no questioning. Everyone's just getting it on, right? Popping pills, you know, shooting up, snorting, smoking, the whole nine yards. So like Sean Penn said, you know, we all are consumers. You have to think, who is the consumer? Don't attack me for hanging out with one of the biggest drug lords on the planet. Think of how can we diffuse or talk or reduce, uh, you know, the hostility in, uh, in how we approach drug lords, right? This is what he was telling you, because they're the largest consumers. Now think, Harvey Weinstein helped cast all these movies helped rape you know he invented the casting couch right gave a lot of actors and actresses bachelors and spread eagle right he did of course they're gonna have drugs of course they're gonna have it on tap so here is where it gets fun because if we remember uh, Harvey Weinstein's court case, do you remember how Harvey Weinstein dropped his lawyers? Do you remember that? Yeah. Harvey Weinstein in 2018, when he was facing and going to court, he dumped his attorney. And guess whose attorneys he hired? That's right. El Chapo's attorney, Aaron Hernandez. So he... Right. He um, got rid of Brathman, who was his attorney, and he hired El Chapo's attorneys. OK, so we're just going to keep going. So why would he hire El Chapo's attorneys and why would the government allow that to happen, knowing that El Chapo turned over stuff about Harvey Weinstein? That's because what? I mean, inside information, Harvey Weinstein now already knows what El Chapo sang to the courts that were under seal, things that we don't know about you know, he knows and he can support him, right? This is where we come down to, right? That is how you break this down. So what else did El Chapo talk about? Aside from Hollywood, aside from Harvey Weinstein, aside from all that stuff, right? What else did he give us? This is something people don't remember. Again, they bank on your lack of memory. And that's not because, you know, uh, 
it's not there for you to see. It's because kind of like the plane with the cash being sent to Iran, it was there. It was mentioned probably from outlets like mine or whatever. Well, not mine because I wasn't running the Tory says at that time. But I did publish an article under another editor's name because I used to not publish with my byline, right? That went that made rounds. And, um, you know, it was talked about, but it was buried because they were too busy talking about something else, right? Too busy talking about something else. So when I was talking about Iran and the plane with the cash in January, that was kind of bubbled over with, guess what? We cost, we caught El Chapo. Look at this. We're going to do this. And then the, the, they made it even worse by saying, whoa, Sean Penn actually met with El Chapo before we caught him. And the, Mexican authority said, oh, it was Sean Penn's fault as to how we found him. And Sean Penn's like, yo, I didn't give him up because then everyone in Hollywood would be PO'd and he would have his sons going after him. He's like, nope, nope, nope. That's not the way it went. His sons already know it's not the way it went. His sons already know the deals that were being cut. His sons already know that. But the Mexican authorities, the Mexican president, the Mexican ministers, they had to target someone and say, it was his fault, not theirs. And why was it his fault and not theirs? Because Nieto had a deal because we already knew and we already had the white hats in on it. So now we get to the next level. What was El Chapo talking about? I mean, everyone's saying how, oh, you know, El Chapo gave us, you know, information on uh, a lot of people, didn't he? He gave us information on Obama. He gave us information on who? He gave us information on everyone, didn't he? He just sang like a bird. First and foremost, he said, you know, bottom line, I gave the president of Mexico a hundred million dollars to look the other way. And, you know, obviously after he did that and that was out in the public, uh, you know, that was a little bit of an issue for the president because he had to step down, if you remember, and he did. But did he ever get held accountable for it? Mm, I don't know. That's a question we need to ask the Mexican um, government and the Mexican people if they're okay with that. So El Chapo. Oh, dear. He's been arrested. He's um, out in the open. He's singing like a little bird. And he's telling everyone everything. And what do we see? Obviously, the first little bird that gets shot down is Harvey Weinstein. Had nothing to do with Sean Penn's connection, of course. Had nothing to do with the fact that this was the little string. This was the leverage that El Chapo had with the Trump administration. It all was coming out. And everyone, you know, that can sit here and say, well, that's, mm, yes, it is. And you know how? So it went from Harvey Weinstein to Nexium. How did that happen? <laughs> so we know that El Chapo paid uh, President Nieto money, correct? Well, if he paid President Nieto, do you think that he paid former to him Mexican President Salinas any money? Oh, yeah, of course he did. 
And who was President Salinas? Mm, a bad president, a corrupt president. And yet, though, when he ran, he was like, oh, I'm tired of corruption. Let's mm. how corrupt, though. Well, here's how corrupt. Did you know that the not Nieto, the president before Nieto, Salinas, his son, Emiliano Salinas, who was the former Mexican president, Carlos Salinas's son, was the head of Nexium in Mexico. See, here is where people can see the plan unfold. Wait a minute. What did El Chapo do? Can you see why? I don't have a problem with him having a couch in his cell. I have no problem with him having a television in his cell. Yes, he sold drugs. Yes, there's murder. Yes, there is trafficking because drugs and human trafficking go together. Yes, yes, yes. Lock that guy up forever. But give him a little bit of a candy as a thank you for redemption. Because, you know, when you do something wrong, it's about redemption, right? It's not so much about getting justice or being miserable. So like, for example, say you betray, say you do something as horrible as human trafficking. I'm just saying, right? Say you are someone that was a coyote and you just did it because you needed money. You didn't really, um, and you were fine with it. You were totally, you know, your morals were like out the window and you come at some point in your life where you're stuck and you realize Darn, I've done all this. Darn, they're going to like throw me in prison. Darn, my kids are going to have a problem. Darn. And you're like, you know what? Uh, I don't deserve anything. I should just go to jail and shut up. Or I can redeem myself. I can make everything better and tell them how people like me are in power. Because indeed, my grandchildren should not be part of this future. Indeed, my great-grandchildren should not be part of this future. And this is the way it works. So here is where we get Harvey Weinstein and Nexium. Oh my gosh. But here's the kicker. Guess who else used to fly around with Jeffrey Epstein? That's right. Emiliano Salinas. Yes, he was a frequenter of St. Thomas where he would meet up with all of them. He would meet up and have parties with them. He was the head of Nixium in Mexico, okay? Now, he is supposedly under investigation too by the Eastern District of New York and he had been a longtime co-conspirator with Rainier about, you know, cash smuggling, tax evasion in Mexico and the U.S. You know, you didn't hear a lot about it of that but you know I'll write an article and just kind of give you a timeline thing kind of pop because see what people don't seem to understand is uh, you know uh, how many times did I say last year be patient there's a lot going on be patient it's gonna go as it is and people were like oh it's not happening you can't when you're taking down a group of persons that have continued to act against humanity in the most nefarious evil, disgusting way for thousands of years, the only thing you can do is help take that crud, that sleep out of people's eyes so they can see. And like I said, if you've been sitting in the dark too long, you can't just open the curtains. So this is how it came. Drip, drip. El Chapo. Whoop, got the biggest drug lord, but not talking a lot about it. A lot of public hearings being closed off, right? No, no, no press. We're not. Mm-mm. Very little information coming out, right? Mm-hmm. 
And so the Obama administration delayed the extradition. And when did they delay it? After they announced that they were going to extradite him. Suddenly, things about Fast and Furious was coming out. Guns, weapons, Obama helped El Chapo arm himself. And do you remember how the mainstream media was silencing all of that? Oh, dear. But it wasn't, but that wasn't what we were after. We just wanted El Chapo. We just wanted him because he was going to give us everybody, every single person. He gave us Amber Crombie and Finch. He gave us mm, Les Wexler. He gave us Renier. He gave us Epstein. So this is where we're at. He's been arrested. The Obamas are like, yay. Cover up the Iran money. Cover up the migrants that accidentally got, you know, U.S. citizenship. Might have been the deal for El Chapo. Who knows that Obama did. And yay, we're going to extradite him. Yay. Oh, look, Sean Penn. Ooh, Sean Penn. It's like, no, no, no. Buffer, buffer, buffer. Because Nieto thought, you know, he can play this game with Obama because the whole plan was Hillary Clinton becomes president and then we all become one happy nation. The what? North American Union. I mean, they talked about it. Nieto, Trudeau and Obama in Canada. They told you in July, hey, we're going to be the North American Union. We're going to have one currency, no borders between us. This will be great. No, it's not. Mexicans don't work like Americans. Americans are actually lazier. Canadians are weird. And, you know, they claim that they're not racist, but yet all of their leadership is only white. Super diverse. No, 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 no. That's not, you know, how it should be, right? The North American Union. So, hey, Nieto, we need to look like we're partnering and, you know, you guys aren't that corrupt. So let's grab El Chapo. Sure thing. But the thing is, El Chapo was in talks with other people. What other people? And why did he come to the United States? He wasn't supposed to talk. He was supposed to go gone. So after this break, we're going to talk about the list of names he gave and where we're at today and how it's going to move forward and what players of the media were involved. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for MyPillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. MyPillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable my pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My pillow stays cool and does not go flat. 
Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. MyPillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. MyPillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. MyPillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's 1-800-961-9194, promo code REDSTATE. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. So welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. So uh, the the first hour, I was telling you guys how El Chapo gave names, how El Chapo was pushing things out, how El Chapo was unraveling one of the biggest organizations that all have different factions. I mean, it's kind of like a big company like Procter Gamble, right? They don't just have one company. They have multiple companies under their umbrella. So one would think, oh, yeah, it's only the Rothschilds that are doing this. Oh, yeah, it was Bronfman, Epstein, Les Wexler. Dude, those are subsidiaries, You don't know who's at the top. And when you do, you're probably going to lose. I don't know, man. People could lose their mind completely. So, you know, the world isn't ready for that yet. And this is why this is being spoon fed slowly. We're making you understand that the Hollywood elite with their drugs and their uh, sex and their trafficking and their abuse to women, the rape. So that was first. Then what do we bring? Backpage.com, boom and gone. Because, you know, El Chapo also said that he used back... um, um, he used it to advertise uh, for services, uh, not just sexual services, like for drops and stuff like that. So, and it was uh, masqueraded as something else. So then we get Nexium, who is what led in Mexico by the former president's son, who is under investigation. And then after Nexium, we get what? Epstein all along. Well, first we get Nader, right? George Nader, who, like I told you when he got arrested, was like, why did you come back to the country? You already knew when Mueller let you leave the country, he let you leave the country. And after you left, a month later, Mueller filed an indictment against you, a sealed indictment against you for having child porn again. So, Nader, why did you come back to the country afterwards knowing that you were going to get arrested? Hmm, Because it's part of the plan. Kind of like how Epstein and El Chapo are in the same jail together, in the same wing. You think that they're not hanging out and talking too? 
I'm just saying. Do you think that? Nader comes, knows that there's an indictment. They're going to catch him for child porn. Not only does he come and he knew that there was an indictment about him on child porn because all his friends would tell him because all his friends would hang with him on the Lolita Express in Mexico, in different islands, in the Middle East, right? All of them. Every single one of them knew and he still came. Why? Is he insane? And not only did he come, he came with more child porn on his phone and his computer. So it's like either he thought that he wouldn't be stopped, which I doubt because he had connections, more connections than your vascular network has in respects to the capillary networks that feed your cells. And that's a lot and very complex. So think about it. Why did he come? Okay, so then suddenly after, you know, first we get Weinstein, then we get Nixium, then we get, you know, Nader, then we get Epstein, then who do we get? Do we go up another level? Not yet. We need about a year of Epstein to sit. We need about a year of Epstein to make people understand that they've normalized not only pedophilia, not only made it a habit, you know, I'm talking about John Lennon and his John Legend and his filthy wife, right? His filthy wife. Not only have they normalized it and made it okay and treated people like cattle and treated children like cattle and they laughed in our face, they rubbed it in our face, they called us crazy for talking about Pizzagate, all of that is going down. And did you see how many, uh, you know, uh, leftist are you know articles were out oh my gosh guess what now the Epstein thing has given QAnon conspiracy theorists a leg up yeah because we've been talking about Epstein for how long yeah but how many how how long have you not been talking about Epstein how long has Vanity Fair Forbes right I'm naming them Forbes We've got Vanity Fair, we've got The Nation, we've got Vox, we've got all these, even the New York Post, talking about how Nexium was like this empowering, uh, you know, empowering um, uh, organization. That's what is happening. Now, <clears throat> before I continue... El Chapo gave us Harvey Weinstein. El Chapo gave us Nexium. And El Chapo gave us Epstein, but who else did El Chapo give us? And that, like I said, probably will be coming after the 2020 elections. So whoever falls now, you know, we revealed the Epstein, even though it was a little bit too soon, uh, according to the, you know, the way the plan is. But it's going to come in a nice way. We should have had it in this way because we've got 2020 elections and we need to get rid of the scum and filth that is sitting in the Senate and the House now. And for those attempting to come forward, you know, for those that are trying to put things in perspective, because California, man, shh, there's a lot going on there. Hotel California. Wonder what El Chapo gave us on that, right? See, I it sucks that the majority of his things are under seal. I think what we have to do is petition to have his testimony unsealed. I mean, we should know that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. We should know what he gave us. We should know who we should be looking out for, right? I mean, I'd love to see the map. 
because what he gave us is a roadmap. He gave us from the lower level to the higher level. And like I've said before, Epstein, uh, Waxler, all of these clowns, the Brothmans are nothing compared who's on top of this. Nothing. Remember, they serviced the royals. So there's more. And they only serviced a few royals, right? Because some royals wouldn't step down. So, you know, there's going to be more stuff coming out. Have you ever heard of hunts, the royal hunts? Have you ever heard of that? It's supposedly a myth. Let's put on our tinfoil hats, guys. Kind of like the same tinfoil hats for Pizzagate. So the hunts. They're actually a biannual event by the royals. And so certain individuals are selected. Um, okay, let me put it this way because it's really, really um, different. Okay, so when I take my kids out, for hunting. Do you think, or, or yourself, say you go hunting. Do you enjoy eating venison or turkey more after you've hunted for it or when you get it from the supermarket? For those of us that understand how difficult it is to procure food, not just working to buy it on the shelf and mass produce, but to actually go out as we did in the past and farm or hunt tastes better, right? You're like, wow, I work for this. I sat up in that tree for a very long time, sat under this camo for a very long time, used stupid whistles that made me look like an idiot so long. And I finally got it. So it tastes really good. And some people will be like, oh my gosh, how could you do that? Well, you kind of, you know, we're carnivores. If God intended us not to be carnivores, he wouldn't have eaten meat too. His son wouldn't have eaten meat and uh, we wouldn't have carnivorous teeth either. You know, we have cutters, carnivores and molars. So that means we eat both plant and meat. So anyway, it's like that for a group of royals too. They like to hunt their food. And what kind of hunt do they do? Mm, yes. Nice, 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 pure females, pure males, because the hunt is the most fun part. Now, who would supply people for the hunt? Would it be Epstein? Not really, because he always has to touch the merchandise. He was a bit of a pervert. So there's other groups that we're going to find out about. And groups that maybe El Chapo helped procure. And they all stem from Ecuador. And then again, who do we know was in Ecuador doing things? Oh, that's right. Allison Mack for Nixium was also in Ecuador. Who else would be going to Ecuador for procurement? That's right. It was also Jeffrey Epstein. So um, people need to understand that... Uh, Central America, for some reason, has been exploited. Exploited to the point that it makes your heart hurt. For me, it hurts. Seeing all those people on the caravans hurts my heart. Because not only have they been exploited by these nefarious groups, but they're being exploited by our own people here. People that people have elected to represent them as cattle to bring them in so they can cause disruption in our infrastructure and make their point go across. When will Pelosi understand the game is over? We already won the war. Why are they fighting? It, it makes me f feel pity for them. 
it, it feels like they're, they're, they're already in quicksand up to their necks and they're still shooting. And you're telling them, stop moving, man, because you're really going to go under. And it's horrible to die through asphyxiation. Just stop and let us pull you out and you'll get punished the right way. But they're fighting. They're fighting. They're protecting. Why? Doesn't anyone feel any pain for the Central American people? Doesn't anybody? I have to tell you one day about my trip to Panama. You'll understand just how exploited Central America has been and, you know, the northern countries of South America. No wonder there is so malicious in regards to mm, hating, not wanting us to open our borders because we've taken so much from them, from everything. So El Chapo. He's given us a lot. He's in the same jail cell with Jeffrey Epstein, probably. Probably next door, probably talking. Maybe not talking. El Chapo's also filing, filing, filing uh, fear or saying it's not quality. He has a better palate. This is how they explain it, but it's not. He doesn't trust the food that is being provided to him. He doesn't trust the water that is coming through the pipes because he knows that they will come after him. But he has to understand he is in President Trump's territory. New York is his territory. New York is something he understands. And guess what? The honest people of New York, the honest correctional officers, the honest police officers who show you how much they love Trump, who show you that they are not afraid to voice their rejection of this BS of the, you know, corrupt de Blasio. You know, they turn his back publicly. They will make sure that he stays no matter how much they dislike what he has done, no matter how much all of us, when we find out all the aspects of business that El Chapo has been in, it will make your tummy, tummy turn. It will make you sick but we need to keep him safe because he gave us everything we needed. And you know, what's funny is, is that Obama thought that, you know, fast and furious would have been the end of him, right? That scandal, right? How operation fast and furious, uh, you know, came out into the headlines, even though he tried to shut it up, which he did. Um, he had, um, El Chapo had said, that he was hoping to get a, to get a get out of jail free card right but they lost now remember judicial watch was the first one to report that el chapo was trying to use fast and furious um as part of their defense right uh against any federal criminal crimes now fast and furious was a disaster for obama because he funded and gave the cartels American weapons. And supposedly he did it so he can track the weapons, which is complete BS. Now, everyone was attacking El Chapo for trying to throw Obama under the bus to save himself time, you know, save himself and avoid serious jail time by giving this up. But he didn't just give that up. Okay, because Obama did work with him. That was the whole plan. Why? Do you think Obama didn't go to the U.S. Virgin Islands? That creep, that disgusting man, right after he left the White House, went to who? 
Richard Branson's island and did what? Kitties. Yeah, you know how we know that? Because during the time that, you know, we were going to be getting El Chapo and we got him, the first thing that was stated to us was provided all this information, not just the Obama Fast and Furious. The discussions went super quick. He gave leads on how these kids were procured and where they were going. And boom, in Chicago, they catch this chick and this dude that are procuring children with a target of where? Necker Island. Who was in Necker Island at the end of January of 2017 that we immediately followed and followed? Oh, it was Barack Hussein Obama and his boyfriend, Mr. Virgin Airlines. The same Mr. Virgin Airlines, I don't know, Epstein, but there's tons of photos with you. I don't know the Bronfmans and, uh, you know, and Keith Rainier, but they were on your island. You know, these are all connected. And so what El Chapo did was hand everyone over. Now, something that you need to remember that I had said, and I need you to remember this going forward. I told you that Africa is going to be coming to the forefront. I've also told you how companies are unable to invest corporately. Like we haven't seen a company come in and say, hey, Africa is called the dark continent because no one puts up power lines. Maybe I should invest and make a ton of money. No one's done that. But what do we have a lot of? Oh, yeah. NGOs, all these charities. By who? Oh, yeah. People like the Clintons, Oprah, Obama, superstars, right? All of them, right? The Hollywood, right? So I told you that Africa is going to be coming to the center because in Africa, they can find safe harbor. How? What did Obama say just a couple days ago? Oh, yeah. Join me with the African initiative. He's in Africa now. He's moving it. I told you Africa is going to come into the scene because El Chapo, that was his new domain, right? Remember, he was the biggest drug lord in North America, Europe, and Australia, but he had hit Africa too. And how did he hit it? And how did he push it through? We do remember that Jeffrey Epstein had said that he co-founded the Clinton Initiative slash Clinton Foundation, which he did. But guess what kind of energy company they also used and which energy company that was a front for Enron, a front for Enron. So Enron was like the boutique front where you see like the models posing with the dresses and the handbags. Behind it was the Clinton company that ran away with all the money. And then behind them were all the other companies that took the fall and all the other people that were crucified while they made bank. But guess what? Hmm. There were subsidiaries in where? Oh, yeah. Africa. There was even an Enron Africa. Enron Africa, when Africa sells no energy, buys no energy, has no energy, and is called the dark continent. So it's all coming forward. El Chapo gave us the string, and now it's being unraveled. He gave us Harvey Weinstein. He gave us Nixium. Nixium gave us, along with what El Chapo had, Epstein. And Epstein is going to give us, oh, so now where we're at with Epstein, we're starting to learn about, you know, less. We're starting to learn more about the Bronfmans. We're starting to learn more about Hollywood. We're starting to learn about politicians, we're starting to learn about world leaders and a few low level royals, right? We're starting to learn about that. Wait till we get to the next level. Now that is some freaky stuff. This is where it starts to get a little bit messy. 
A little bit messy on the fact of what happened. See, Nixie and people were like, oh, it was a cult. They brainwashed these women. They branded them and they were like having them have sex and everything. Uh, I'm pretty sure that a couple of Epstein's victims, I mean, the ones that are coming forward right now, talking to the FBI, you know, and that was funny because I was thinking the same thing this morning when I had a chat with Scott Adams. He's like, why make a bet they're branded? I'm like, dude, I'm there with you. They all swapped. You know, they all shared resources. They all shared, you know, commonality of, you know, moving these human beings and more so the pregnant ones, which go to the higher level. So what you need to understand is everything was planned out. You cannot say that El Chapo, you know, didn't make a deal. You cannot say that George Nader didn't cut a deal. Why would he come here with all of that? I mean, he would have been hunted for the rest of his life if he didn't come and face it. And he also came with child porn, which is crazy. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein landed in New Jersey. Let me remind you that back in the day when the investigation had been opened up on Epstein, he was on a plane headed for New Jersey and he found out that they wanted to serve Nadia, you know, his his side little child chick at the time, the child that he had with him. And so instead of landing in New Jersey, knowing that they were waiting for him, he turned his plane around and went to his, you know, uh, pedo island. Right. He went to the pedo island to avoid it. That way he can discuss with her what she can say and what she can't say, you know. So what makes you think that not one person at that airport that he's been landing in for, you know, 25, 30 consecutive years, that, you know, little section of the airport that he always lands in, that he didn't have one guy tip him off? Of course he did. He knew. That's what I'm trying to say. People are so gullible. They think that we did some stealthy thing and arrested him. No, we didn't. We did not. There was nothing like that. You know, I'm going to tell you something super creepy from a very valid source that will be coming out soon. But one thing, you know, when, when they broke into his house in New York, that used to be a school, as you know, and obviously we're confiscating it, et cetera. What people don't know is that from back in the day, you know how we know the Podestas have creepy art? So does Epstein. Epstein had like perverted art. But there's two pieces of art that I just, well, actually two pieces of art and a piece of clothing that needs to be mentioned. So one is a uh, stuffed animal, like taxidermy of an animal. And, you know, it's really weird because taxidermy of, I think it's like a cat or a small like terrier dog from what I remember seeing in the pictures. So what's creepy is it's very lifelike and it even has a turd sitting next to it. I kid you not. But there's also like the chandelier with a very uh, realistic female human body attached to it, right? as almost as if it was sculpted from someone else. And so the story goes that that replica of the chandelier and the woman hanging from it um, was the source of how he had these amazing, most luxurious leather shoes. Now, here's where you're going to put your little tinfoil hat on, but, and I won't say it on air because it's very disturbing. 
I would urge you to go into DuckDuckGo and search Macaulay Culkin, um, Shoes, Poltergeist, and um, France, I guess. I think that would pull it up. And then you'll understand that statement. Because there's... There's a lot more to this. So these gifts of these specified articles of clothing, either that be a belt or shoes, are uh, a, a symbol of acceptance from the other group. So everyone's talking about the mega group in this. But the nine that have been around are bigger than all of those groups. And there are a lot of people that say, what this, we need to keep an open mind because you never would have believed that there was a plane, a jet that would take everybody from princes to senators to presidents to, you know, performers to artists to drug lords to go have sex with little children. You would never know that and, and believe that there would be human beings on this planet that would import children by boat into this island, you know, in the U.S. Virgin Islands and that no one would ever see again. Children, children. You know, you wouldn't believe it. And like you wouldn't believe that just this day, today, we have the FBI at the U.S. Virgin Islands. Do you know why? Because suddenly there are some weird flags being tampered with. Really weird tampering. Do you know what? They found ISIS flags around St. Thomas. What? They found, you know, jihadi flags flying in St. Thomas. That's a little bit of a far fetch. But yes, they have. And why are they there? Why would they have jihadi flags in St. Thomas? Do you think it's because uh, they believe that, um, you know, jihadis are there? No. They, that is signaling. That is telling you something. That is a big deal, okay? So how is it that we have the FBI there to apprehend someone who was, you know, changing the flags in St. Thomas. Uh, you know, they well, it happened, you know, last year, but they've had a revamp. Okay. So there was a guy that they had, you know, gotten where he had replaced, you know, um, uh, black banners with the word Allah and other Arab symbols and they arrested him. But it has to make you wonder, why are the ISIS flags going in again a year later? And why is the FBI down in St. Thomas? You would think that they would have had it raided the island yet, but they haven't. On that note, I just wanted to tell everyone, from all of us here at Red State Talk Radio, I want to wish you a great weekend. Buckle up, because next week is going to be pretty crazy, and there's going to be a lot coming out on Omar. On that note, God bless, and I'll see you here on Monday. Bye-bye now. A long way from the suits in D.C. But close enough now to see this mess Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper I grab a shovel, dig a hole a little deeper Just to bury my kids right up to there